This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When it's evening, you say it'll be fair weather, the sky is red. In the morning, it'll be foul weather, the sky is red and lowering, threatening. He says, oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the, of the times? So the Lord points them to a common practice of predicting the weather, foretelling the weather, telling the weather, know what the weather is going to be. So important, so important. When you got to know the weather when you want to plant seeds so your seed doesn't get washed away. You got to know the weather when you're taking care of livestock. You got to know when you got to take them into the barns so they don't get caught out in the storm. And especially, when you're going to sea, you're going to set out on a lake for fishing. You got another way so you don't drown out there. It reminds me of a time when, when Joshua, my son Joshua, and I went out fishing in Loretto on the east side of the of the, the big island Carmen, and we knew a storm was coming in the afternoon, but we thought we could get back before that. You know, so we could go in the morning, get back before that, and so we started back and. The island kind of blocks the wind. So we got around that corner to the west side of the island. Oh, man, we caught that storm. And I'm not kidding you. Those waves were nine feet tall. And they would crash over the boat. And I thought, well, there goes my cell phone, you know, soaking wet. At one point, we hit a wave, and I went flying. I thought for sure I was going to land in the water. I landed in the boat. But um, there have been boats that have set out from Loretto, fishing boats, never came back. Never came back. Very, very dangerous. And we're in a hurricane zone down there in Loretto, and it takes a whole day just to put up the hurricane screens, the metal screens, uh, curtains on all the doors and the windows. So it's important to respect the indicators of a storm. So looking at a sky is common practice to predict. And so the Lord is telling them, think about how you use certain indicators in the sky to predict the weather. I mean, if farmers lost seed because they planted before a storm or if ranchers 
lost livestock because they didn't bring them in before a storm, or fishermen drowned because they went out before a storm. All those tragedies were not necessary. And it was not necessary to lose that seed. It wasn't necessary to lose that livestock, and it wasn't necessary to lose those lives because all of those would have happened for one reason. They did not know. They did not know that the storm was coming. They did not know that the storm was coming before they planted. They did not know that the storm was coming before they left the livestock out. They did not know the storm was coming before they went out to see it. All boiled down to they did not know. Because if they knew, they wouldn't have planted the seed. If they knew, they wouldn't have left their livestock out. If they knew, they wouldn't have gone out to see. And after the loss of seed, the, the farmer would say, I didn't know. I didn't know. After the loss of livestock, the rancher says, I didn't know. After the loss of lives, the family of the fishermen said, they didn't know. They didn't know. Those are the words that the Lord Jesus used to state the tragedy of someone who wins in hell. In Luke 1944, Luke 1944, he said, They'll lay thee even with the ground, thy children within thee. They shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. And how do you think the Lord was saying that? When In verse 3, getting back to verse 3 here, chapter 16, when he says, can you not discern the signs of the time? How do you think his voice was? How do you think it sounded when he said that? You think he said it with a nonchalant, I don't care, you're either part of the elect or you're not elect, so who cares, an attitude of apathy, like, ah, can you not discern the signs of the time? You think he said it like that? No. Well, you think he said it with maybe an anger in his voice, he's angry, like you should have known attitude, like, can you not discern the signs of the time? What's the matter with you? You think he said it like that? Or do you think maybe there was no apathy in his voice? There was no anger in his voice. There was, there was an agony, a gut-wrenching sadness. There was a oh-no attitude in his voice, a, a longing. Can you not discern the signs of the time? See, this, this yearning of the Lord, this is, the, this is who the Lord is. The Lord, the Lord is the Lord with a broken heart. He's a broken heart. He sees, he sees all that he has done to lead them out of danger, of the danger of dying in their sins, of facing an eternal punishment in hell, and all that he's done to lead them to safety, and he yearningly calls out, like he did in Luke 19.42, Luke 19.42, saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things that belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thy sight. They're hid from thine eyes. You know, in the Bible, there's a series of O verses. O verses in the Bible, you know. O verses, you can say, you want to put a little Jewish slant on it, you could say there's a series of oy vey verses where God is just exasperated over Israel, where God is beside himself, where God is filled with an anxiety over Israel. These verses like Deuteronomy 5.29, Deuteronomy 5.29, where God says, oh, that there was such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. This is God saying, oh, they, that there was such a heart in them, Enough with all the holocausts and all the catastrophes. 
And, or, or Deuteronomy 32.29. Deuteronomy 32.29. Where it says, oh, that they were wise. That they understood this. That they would consider their latter end. This is God saying, oh, Isaiah, they would just sit down and ask themselves the question, what's going to happen to me after I die? Where am I going to be? Where will I be for eternity? Am I going to be in heaven or am I going to be in hell? Am I going to be with Hitler? What's my latter end after death? Psalm 81.13, Psalm 81.13, God agonizes, oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and Israel had walked in my ways. This is God saying, oh, I had such a vision for them. I wanted them to be my people, act like my people, walk in my ways. All they had to do was just come to me, come to me. He said, Jehovah Jesus speaks in John 5.40, John 5.40, you will not come to me that you might have life. Or Isaiah 48.18, Isaiah 48.18, oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. This is God saying it could have been so different. You could have had, when you said shalom to everybody, it would have been a reality for you. You would have had that peace, the peace that he spoke of in John 14, 27, the gift of peace in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then the, the, maybe the climax of it all, when he stands on the Mount of Olives, he looks at the city of Jerusalem, and his heart is broken, and he cries in Luke 20, in Matthew 23:37. Matthew 23:37. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and you would not. This is God saying, I vain Jerusalem, I send you prophets, you kill them. I send the others, you stone them. So often, so often, so often, I tried to protect you. I tried to love you. I tried to keep you from being cast into hell, but you would not have me as your Messiah. You would not receive me as your God. You said, I'd rather go to hell than to believe in Jesus. So God's saying, what can I do? This is the yearning spirit of God. This is the broken heart spirit of God. This is the anxious spirit in which the Lord Jesus is talking about in verse 3, in verse 3, when he says, can you not discern the signs of the times? So what are these signs of the times he's talking about? The signs of the time of the Messiah had come, and the Lord Jesus is referring to them in verse 3. First, there's the sign of the scepter departing from the hand of Judah. So Judah no longer had the scepter in his hand. Jacob predicted this. Jacob predicted this would be the time of the Messiah in Genesis 49.10. Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So since the time that Judah lost sovereignty over the land of Israel, and this happened during the time of the Babylonians. When they took over Israel, the scepter departed from Judah, but then the Jews regained control back over the land, and the scepter returned to Judah. And then the Greeks 
conquered Israel under Alexander the Great, and then later passing to Antiochus, and the scepter departed again from Judah, and then the Jews under Judas Maccabee during Hanukkah regained control over their land. The scepter returned to Judah, but finally came the Romans, and with the Romans, the scepter finally departed from Judah, and it departed for 2,000 years, and it didn't come back until May 14, 1948, with the birth of the state of Israel. But when the Romans took control of Israel, the scepter really departed from Judah, and that was a sign that Shiloh would come. They were no longer making sovereign laws for themselves, as they said to Pilate. It's not lawful for us to put a man to death, because the lawgiver had departed from Judah's feet. And so when the scepter departed from Judah, that was one of the signs, a very important sign, that the Messiah was coming, Shiloh come, referred to in verse 3. Now, the other part of Jacob's sign of Shiloh, the Messiah coming, was called the gathering of the people unto him. The gathering of the people around the Messiah. That was to indicate the Messiah came. In Genesis 49.10, Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And there were many gatherings of the people around Messiah Jesus, or the multitudes. That was a sign that he came. For example, in Matthew 4.25, we saw Matthew 4.25. There followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond Jordan. So with those multitudes, Jacob's words are heard in Genesis 49.10. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Matthew 8.1, Matthew 8.1, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. But there again, Jacob's words, Genesis 49.10, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Matthew 12.15, Matthew 12.15, when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Again, Genesis 49.10, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Matthew 13.2, Matthew 13.2, great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Again, Genesis 49.10, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Matthew 15.30, Matthew 15.30, and that great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, many others, cast them down at Jesus' feet. He healed them. Genesis 49.10, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Matthew 19.2, Matthew 19.2, great multitudes followed him. He healed them there. They were always following him to be healed. In Genesis 49.10, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Everywhere he went, there were these great multitudes gathering unto him. And that was one of the signs. And then there was the sign of Daniel's weeks. Daniel's weeks. Daniel 9.24. Daniel 9.24. Daniel said, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for the iniquity, and bring in everlasting righteousness, and seal up the vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, 
shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. About 490 years, if you take the week there, seven years, 490 years from the decree of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, in Persia, in the book of Nehemiah, that the temple, he said the temple should be rebuilt, it should be rebuilt, and he says, up to that point, then the Messiah comes, the Messiah is killed, but not for himself. So that was one of the signs of the times of the Messiah that the Lord Jesus was referring to in verse 3. And then there were the signs that the Lord Jesus gave to John the Baptist when John the Baptist asked him, are you really the Messiah? And he responded in Matthew 11, 2 through 6, when he said, uh, he quoted, he says, go tell John, says, the blind receive sight and they see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, so forth. He's quoting directly out of Isaiah 61.1. Isaiah 61.1, where, where he actually stood up one time in the, in the synagogue and read this verse and said, it's fulfilled in your ears today. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings, gospel, unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to them that are bound. So all those signs indicated the Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. And the Lord condemned them for not knowing that. He said in, in verse 3, verse 3, can you not discern the signs of the time? So signs of the time was that God set a time for the Messiah to come. It was an appointed time. It was like an appointment when the Messiah would come to his people. And this whole concept of God giving appointment times is so important. He even calls it out in the animal realm in Jeremiah 8.7. Jeremiah 8.7, he says, Yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times. There's a great migration of white storks that takes place in Israel every year around March, the latter part of March, the second half of March. Half a million White storks come to Israel, and after six weeks, they leave. Like clockwork, those storks meet their appointed time. They from Africa, going to Europe, there. and Israel sees those half a million white storks in the Valley of Hula every year. And you know, this coming February, we're going to have our first chapel retreat in Loreto because that's the time when the humpback whales will come from Alaska to Bahia Magdalena, on the Pacific side, the longest animal migration in the world from Alaska to a bay on the side of Baja, on the Pacific side, every year, without fail, for just one month, the month of February, like clockwork. Those whales meet their appointment time of February to be there. Those half a million white storks meet their appointment time in Israel every March Without fail, and like I said, those 20,000 humpback whales meet their appointment time in the, in the Bay of Magdalena every February without fail, and we plan on it. And God complains that his people do not meet their first appointment time to be saved from their sins. 
before their last appointment time that they have no choice, they will meet, which is Hebrews 9.27, Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. But there's another appointment time before then, not to be judged, but to be saved. And that's the 2 Corinthians 6.2, the 2 Corinthians 6.2 appointment. For he saith, I have heard thee in, an accept, in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So only during our very short lifetime, very short lifetime, is there this appointment time, this opportunity to, to be saved. And when life is finished, the appointment is gone. It's too late to be saved. God does not accept to have an appointment with anyone to be saved from their sins after death. And when the Lord Jesus was on earth, it was the time for Israel to come to him and own him as Thomas did in John 20, 28. John 20, 28, when Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, that was their appointed time. That was what he said. You didn't know the time of your visitation. That was their appointment time. And he complains, he says, in Isaiah 1.3, Isaiah 1.3, he says, the ox knows his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doesn't know. My people does not consider. Now, when he's talking to them in verse 3 about what they should have known, it's just so interesting that he refers to the sky as having a face, a face to read or a face to discern, as he says. Now, we're able to know so much from a face. You know, it reminds me of a business deal that I was making with a businessman in Italy. I was in Italy, and I was going to make this business agreement with this Italian. And I was talking to him on the phone about making the deal, and he really surprised me when he says, I need to meet you because I need to look at your face. Oh, you know, I was surprised, you know, he wants to look at my face, okay. He says, I need to look at your face. Just like one king of Israel said to another king of Israel in 2 Kings 14.8, 2 Kings 14.8, then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, come, let us look one another in the face. Same thing. So I go to meet this Italian businessman and look him in the face. And I remember it was very uncomfortable. He started to stare at my face. <laughs> and he was looking for any indication that I wasn't being straight with him, that I wasn't being honest with him. And he's looking at my eyes. He's looking at my mouth. And he's looking at my forehead, see if I'm sweating. Uh, he would have been good as a police interrogator. <clears throat> See if there was any reason why he shouldn't trust me. It was pretty uncomfortable. But I understood because in Italy, there's a lot of reasons to not trust people in business. And it reminds me of the time when, when Cheryl and I were in uh, Milan and we were taking an Alitalia flight from Milan to Rome. And so before getting on the flight, I told Cheryl, you keep your purse close to you because we're in Italy and you can't trust the Italians as someone's going to just grab your purse. And whenever I say those things to her, you know, like in Italy, she, she always said to me, okay, Christopher Columbus. She said, <laughs>
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.